One piece of advice that one of our most active angels always gives to companies is, look, if you can avoid taking my money for as long as possible, do. Because I will be a pain in your ass. Ready to raise capital? It's time to get your dose of investment insights with the Investment Fix podcast. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Kia ora, I'm Dylan Lawrence, General Manager of the Investment Team at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Today we're going to be talking about angel investment. And with us to talk about that are two friends of NZTE, Suze Reynolds and Serge Van Dam. Suze is the chair of the Angel Association New Zealand and the founder of Angel HQ, the Wellington region's angel network. And as an investor in her own right, Suze has invested into companies like Narrative News, Kogo and Whipster. And Serge Van Dam is the director of a number of SaaS startups backed by angel investors. Some companies that you may have never heard of, but hopefully soon will, include Montu, Tapi and Tour Writer. Welcome Serge, welcome Suze. Thank you both for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having us. Well, let's get into it. Suze, as the chair of the Angel Association, probably best to throw to you first. What is angel investment? And tell us about the angel network in New Zealand. Angel investment is essentially high net worth individuals who invest their own money in high growth, early stage tech companies, usually. And having said their high net worth, I'm increasingly of the belief that it's more about a personality profile than a wealth profile. You need the wealth profile to go with it, but it's more about people's appetite for risk and their predilection to give back their passion for their own local economy and also a real curiosity and where the world's heading and what's going to be the new great thing in the world. In terms of the New Zealand Angel Network, we've been doing this as a formal kind of gig for about the last 10 or 15 years. Angel numbers have grown in New Zealand from around about 300 or so a decade ago to around, we're nudging a thousand angels and there are networks from Invercargill to almost Wangarei. We're still working away on Wangarei, aren't we, Dylan? But we'll get there. And there are places like Tauranga, Palmerston North, Taranaki. There are little angel networks everywhere. So if you've got an opportunity that looks like it could be angel food, then there'll be an angel network or an angel near you. You just need to reach out to us and we'll help you find them. Fantastic. And just out of interest, how much money are angels on a per annum basis putting into uh, New Zealand companies? I'll answer that kind of like from an individual perspective, because it's one of my little passions, is kind of democratizing this asset class. So personally, angels invest everywhere from 5K check through to a 30, 50, 100K check per deal. And so you can do the sort of math on that because angels should typically have a portfolio north of 10, preferably more like 20 ventures that they've invested in. I think what you're driving at with your question actually was the sort of bigger picture thing. So angels are investing north of 100 million per annum at the moment and about 130 or so deals a year. About a third of those are new deals and two thirds are follow-on deals. And Serge, at what stage in a company's growth journey should a business seek capital? There's the question of when should they be talking to capital providers, including angel networks. And like almost all things in life, these are based on human to human relationships. So it's almost never too early to be talking to angel investors and pure financial investors about what you're doing, what your plans are, what your likely capital trajectory is going to be like. It is never too early to do that. And much of what you see in New Zealand, not just in the tech sector, but in the traditional companies is 
They go and talk to capital providers when they urgently need money. That's your worst possible time, partly because you don't have any leverage and partly because you don't have time. And so it just means that you have to rush things or they don't happen at all. So the sooner you start talking to people and bringing them on your journey, the better. And then the question of angel investors, angel investors come in all shapes and sizes. There are several like me who are happy to talk to you when you've got a mocked up prototype of what you think you're going to build. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having that, that as the first conversation, uh, listening to what they have to say, seeing if there's a fit, knowing that you're not asking for money at the first coffee date or the first catch up, you're just building a relationship. So Suze, why would a, a company or a founder choose an angel investor over other capital options? That's a great question. And I think it's a really important one for companies to be aware of, to be self-aware about. Angels are really going to want to get in your business big time. Don't choose an angel if you want to get on and build this business all by yourself and with your own core team. One piece of advice that one of our most active angels always gives to companies is, look, if you can avoid taking my money for as long as possible, do, because I will be a pain in your ass and you will give up lots of control. So that's the kind of thing that you need to think about before you approach an angel network. Think about if you're prepared to take people into your team who really want to go, going to be part of that journey. And one of the best things about choosing an angel is that they come with incredible networks. If you've got a bunch of angel investors, you'll very rarely just get one or two. You, you know, most times if you're investing and you're um, raising through an angel network, you'll get at least half a dozen and maybe three times that number. So that comes with an incredible breadth of experience and networks. That's one of the best things about angel investing. And if you talk to companies who have raised angel investment, that's invariably the bit that they'll rave about the most. The other thing that they rave about, surprisingly, because investors sometimes get a bad rap, is how much emotional support and being really with you on that journey, surprisingly more than they would have expected. Looking forward, multiple capital rounds, how far will an angel investor go with you on that journey? They won't go all the way inevitably, but they will typically go at least one or two and sometimes four to six rounds with you on that journey. And there are some angels who are one and done and there are others who will keep some money for follow on. It just depends what their investment thesis is a bit. Let's say I'm a founder of a business out there listening to this. How do I engage with an angel network? If you possibly can, try and use LinkedIn or wherever. Try and establish a wee bit of a relationship with somebody who's already a member of an angel network. There's nothing like a warm introduction. If you're going in cold, that's absolutely fine too. But be prepared to be a little bit tenacious. Angel networks are typically kind of you know, resource poor. Angel HQ, for instance, you know, we've got a fantastic Dave Allison, who, but he's part-time. If you don't get an answer from him, hustle, find out who's a member and go through them. But the best way is just to reach out, do your desktop research and get in touch. My view is it shouldn't preclude you as a founder from looking at other people as well. I always say yeah. to founders, make a list of the 10 people who are best qualified to assess your opportunity mm. and talk to them regardless. Because yeah, yeah. sometimes angels can lead around, but sometimes actually angel clubs are super happy following an expert who thinks this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So it should not preclude that. And I don't think any of the angel clubs take a greedy view of come to us only and come to us first kind of thing. It's not like that. It's not a monogamous relationship. Yeah. And to Serge's point, I think we're syndicating like three out of every four deals in New Zealand are getting money from elsewhere around the country and other angels. 
what does my company need to look like to attract some interest out of the angel network? My personal answer is always about the individual founders. You need to come across as someone who's prepared to do the hard work, someone who is considered and someone who is coachable, which means you take feedback well. There's a whole lot of personal attributes. The companies that definitely don't get funded are the ones where the founder knows all the answers, is absolutely certain they're going to succeed, and you're lucky to be in the same room as that person. That's my investment thesis is 80% on the individuals. It's very little about the rest. In terms of the angel clubs, people do expect that you've got your paperwork sorted, you've got a subscription agreement, you've got your standard company set up, things sorted out, you've got a budget, you've got a, an account with a, an accounting system like Zero. You've just done the basics and you sound like you're a reasonable company. And then you're diligent in the process. You listen to the questions and the challenges, you get back to people, you present a business plan that seems credible, not something you came up with five minutes ago. It's just doing the boring things well. And yeah. I think most of the companies that fail to raise money, it's not because the idea wasn't a good one or the market they were after was not an opportunistic one. It's they just didn't do the basics right. And do I have to be a certain size? No. The answer is, you know, angel clubs fund one person who feels like they're onto something and you get companies that got 50 employees who still want to be funded humbly with the angel network. So no, I... I don't think so. Obviously, there's a point at which you've got $20 million in annualized revenue and you know, operations all over the world and angels aren't your best source of capital. They can still contribute and many still do, but they're not the best place to start at that point. I typically invest in early. So typically it's two, three, four people, founding team, I guess, most of the time who've got some sort of early stage version of a product. I invest only in software companies. So I'm pretty exclusively focused on that. There's definitely other types of companies that go to angel clubs. So I typically try to be involved right from the start when they first start looking for money and they start thinking about what their future options are. How long does the capital raising process take? There's a sweet spot, to be honest. If it takes too short a time, you haven't got to know each other properly and you've missed a whole bunch of stuff that you need to know about each other. Because as Serge points out, especially in the angel space, we're backing people. You need to have the compelling story about the other bits as well. But you know, the further up the capital chain you go, the more it becomes about market size and business models and all that kind of stuff. But at the early stage, it's so all about you. That's one of the kind of key things, I think. The stuff we find under the hood or in the box often is just terrifying. Like, you know, there's employees who left the company two years ago, they're still on the payroll. And, you know, the moment you uncover those things, things are going to get challenging. So yeah, you just got to have tidied up your affairs before you approach anyone. And it's not just angel groups, any sophisticated investor will ask for exactly the same things. And the idea that some founders have that you might be able to fudge your way through the investment process with a lot of loose ends is really silly. When it comes to due diligence, we should, as an angel network, be doing it better than we do. We sometimes take way too long. And I often say to founders, you should treat raising angel investment a bit like going to the New Zealand public health system. Don't expect that they're going to ring you with your results. You have to ring the hospital. And that's why getting a champion or an angel on your wing who can do that hustling with you, you'll make a gazillion phone calls and you just need to be psyched for that. But due diligence, it shouldn't take you more than sort of three months. It might take a bit longer than that and ironically sometimes the smaller amount of money you're raising the longer it can take that's not so much around the due diligence piece but it's just those smaller check sizes that you're writing and you're more risky it's sometimes going to be harder to raise that money and most of that elapsed time 
is typically on the first round where you're getting to know each other. So there's kind of, you know, the first date, second date stuff going on. And the other component is typically there's lots of loose ends. So yeah. you'll end up with, oh, you don't have a shareholders agreement or you don't have employment agreements in place or you don't have an accounting, you know, all the boring stuff isn't there and it takes the founders quite a few weeks to sort that out. So I agree with Sue, typically the first angel investment takes a couple of months at least, but quite often the follow-on investments, which might be 10 times the size, can easily be done in a matter of three or four weeks. Serge, you've sat on the other side as an investee and sought investment. What advice would you give companies or founders around how to think about what they're looking for in an investor? A couple of things there. The first thing you should do is make a list of the people who are best qualified to assess your opportunity. If you're trying to sell me some farming equipment as, a, as an investor, I don't know anything about farming. Like I'm not well qualified, regardless of how good your widgets are. Right. So yeah. you should be prioritizing people who are well qualified to understand the business that you're building. And the second thing is you should anchor the conversation on agreeing or disagreeing the things you believe in. Every founder and every business has a set of principles and beliefs that are relatively unique to that business. There is no point in convincing someone to let go of hardened capital when they don't believe the same things you do. So I'd start there. And then to me, the process is a mutual dating process. It's not just a pitching process. Here's what I got. Do you want it? It's asking questions and qualifying, saying, what sort of things do you invest in? What are some of your criteria? What would make you say no? And then once you understand the person on the other side, you should focus your attention on the people who look likely. I see so much energy from investees going into potential investors who right from the outset, you know, aren't right for you. And it's a waste of everybody's time. So I just think people need to be more judicious as well. Interesting. One of my favorite things, Dylan, is that investees should look for investors who love to learn because there's nothing worse than an investor who thinks he knows everything as well, because that can just ankle tap you really quickly. So that's one of my favorite qualities for a really good investor is that they are still hungry to learn, are curious and open-minded. Oh, that's, that's probably a good segue. I'd love to hear a few examples. Maybe Serge, could you tell us a really good you know, angel investment experience that you've had or, or you know about and just talk a little bit about why was it so good? and uh, whether there's any sort of takeaways that investees could follow from it. Yeah, so I think a great example in the last couple of years, the company Kogo, we're uh, essentially uh, helping consumers be more ethical with their spending. And we wanted to do a $2 million round last year. We don't, you know, we're sort of like a pre-revenue company. We've got very low levels of revenue because we're a mass market consumer play. And our thesis was we needed to find the anchor investor who would make people pay attention. And so we made the list of the top five people we wanted to approach. And top of the list was Steve Tyndall from the warehouse, you know, who's very big on sustainability and impact. And we approached him and said, you know, Stephen, we'd love for you to be our anchor investor in this business because we're a retail player. Your investment signals that we are relevant both to a retailer and to someone who's passionate about environmental impact. And so he committed, uh, his money, which was a significant check. And then we use that to say, hey, everybody, Steve Tindall's invested in our business for these reasons. He brought in a couple of his mates as well, people he knows who believe the same things he does. And basically two weeks later, we had $2 million in the bank. So it was a really easy process. Easy is probably a bit of a stretch, but it wasn't hit your head against a brick wall kind of process. It was 
a deliberate process and it was anchored on qualifying the people who are best placed to understand our business and people who believe what we believe. And then everybody else you just ignore. I think that was a very successful process and a really good blueprint for others to follow, I guess. So very targeted, assuming also there was quite a lot of preparation going into before approaching Stephen. Totally. Yeah. So that's the other side. That's doing all the boring stuff. So making sure all of the administrative stuff is in shape and then doing a really good job of the pitch materials, the prototypes, having a demo ready, all of those things. They were in really good shape when we started approaching people. Yeah. So we'd done our homework and it paid off. Fantastic. And Suze, how about you? Do you have a, do you have a really, really good angel investment experience yourself? Because I've got a very low boredom threshold and short attention span, it's probably the one that's closest to me. But I genuinely enjoyed uh, raising a seed round with Narrative Muse last year. That was a super compelling founder, very smart, really good listener, does what she says she's going to do. But what I really loved about that one too, it's quite a purpose-driven so Narrative Muse is all about driving eyeballs to content. In this particular instance, what we're focusing on first is getting more eyeballs on female-created content, books and movies. It's a $33 billion market that's kind of going begging at the moment because we've got a mismatch between who's reading and watching movies and then what's being produced. And so you can see that that one was just so purpose-driven. People kind of connected first with the the purpose, but then they really connected to Bro in the same way they do to Ben Glazner, who's the CEO of Kogo. And I think that's increasingly the way the world is going to this kind of value proposition. It's not all about Kardashian-like wealth or scaling for the sake of being big. It's about making an exponential difference to the world. And obviously that's what drives me, but I think it's actually what drives most angel investors. The financial return piece is important, but unless you're actually making a difference, it's a bit hollow. Serge, what motivated you to get into angel investment? Well, I was fortunate enough to be involved in an early stage exit of a software company called MCOM, and I got a little bit of cash out of that. And I thought, what are the boring and less boring things I can do with that? And the boring one is buy a couple of rental properties. And the almost as boring one is put the money in the share market. And the most interesting one is help young entrepreneurs, Kiwi companies that want to go global, see if I can help them both with my capital and also any of the knowledge and insights I might have from my own personal experiences. It was really about the options and the most interesting and fulfilling one was to get involved with early stage companies. I'm a sort of full-time investor and on the board of nine companies and active in about five, six others. So that's kind of what I do full-time. Plenty of other angels, you know, have a corporate job or whatever. And so they lend in their opinions once every month or something, but they're not really active investors. And I think the beauty of the model is you can be as involved as you want to be. If you can be helpful, then there's lots of opportunities for you to do so. And it's a lot less cultish than most people would assume, yes, right? It's, there's point. no sacred rituals. We don't sacrifice <laughs> yeah. farm animals or anything. <laughs> Basically a bunch of people who want to see Kiwi companies thrive and want to help founders uh, be the best they can be. It yeah. feels intimidating, but it really isn't. That's such a great point, Serge, because I often say to people that in the angel space, there is no beige. And that means that there are introverts, extroverts, people who are kind of really passionate, people who love numbers, people who are not into numbers, but love people, you know, doing the people side of due diligence. So come and have a crack. There'll be somebody who looks like you. You'll find your tribe. And Suze, have you sort of seen a change uh, in the current climate and the way angel investing's been going? That's a really interesting question because counterintuitively, perhaps deal flow is kind of like through the roof at the moment. 
there's this fabulous guy who just pitched me today a really neat health tech opportunity. And, you know, I went back to him and said, look, we had our angel HQ investment evening last night. We had two pitches. We usually have two or three. We had nine other deals that are in the process of raising at the moment. Wow. So there's a hell of a lot of activity in terms of people thinking, I've got this great idea. I think there's also an element of we don't know where this world is heading. So we're going to raise now while people still have some cash in their pockets. Angels, on the other hand, are tending to be a little bit more cautious and you have to be a really compelling proposition to be raising first time round. The rhetoric for angel investors is support your existing portfolio of companies to the max and be super clear about the value proposition any new deals are having, particularly in the current context. But it is an interesting time because everybody knows it's times like these that there's disruption oh, yeah. in, major interest in major industries. So the opportunities are actually more significant than they probably will be for another, you know, 10 years or whatever. But the first priority is Sue's just said of an investor is to protect your own family first, mm. you know, and once you know that they're going to be okay, then potentially reach out further. So there's positives in terms of the opportunities, but negatives in terms of where you have to put your money first. And one of the things I'm really keen that people understand more the sort of recession vintages of early stage ventures are some of the best the likes of vend and zero are examples in new zealand airbnb uber are examples of those offshore so i really would love for people to start thinking about if they can afford five to ten percent of their net wealth to be angel investors to think about it it's a great time to start investing yeah i guess the other point there is the alternatives are pretty bad oh, keeping yeah. your money in the bank certain to return you nothing and then everybody is assuming share markets are overvalued, but there's nowhere else for the capital to go. So not only should you do it for the reasons Sue's outlined, but actually the alternatives are pretty bad if you actually have excess capital. Let's look forward. What opportunities are you, are you hunting now, Suze? Rob Vickery is someone who's relatively new into our market. He's based in Los Angeles and he's raised a fund to invest in Kiwi startups. And he's all about AI. It's hard to go past that is perhaps one of the things that's going to shake the world up next. Blockchain is another area that's kind of got loads of potential on that front. But I actually think in the current climate, we're all about digital, obviously, helping people with the current situation, remote working, um, anything that helps with batting away this bloody old virus is pretty hot right now too. Serge, have you got any opportunities you're hunting? I am making sure I've got enough capital to, should a lifeline be required on some of the companies I'm involved in already. So I'm not actively looking right now for new opportunities. I am considering a couple, but I'm not actively looking. For me, this disruption on the back of COVID and generally around technology is gonna mean a lot of white collar automation. So you're seeing it already with medicine, going to telemedicine, et cetera. So layering sort of traditional digital technologies with AI, as Sue's mentioned, you're gonna see a lot of white collar work being automated and scaled and done efficiently and better with technology. And so. That's really the area I think there's a lot of opportunity, not just from a making money perspective, but actually raising the New Zealand GDP, which I know is a topic you care a lot about, Dylan. Um, <laughs> and kind of having digital first economy. What advice would you give companies that don't have that investor or shareholder on board already and they're actually having to go out and seek new investment? If you were to give, if you were to give them all just one piece of advice, what would it be? One piece of advice, tough one. You've got to come across as someone who's considered, hardworking, diligent, uh, and backable for the long run. So I don't really think it's necessarily about a business theme. I don't necessarily think it's about a technology type. I don't think it's about a particular vertical. 
I think it's about proving that you're a diligent, hardworking person who's prepared for a seven to 10 year journey, which is, we all know that's how long it takes. And that's really still the selling point. The thing that's gonna impress me as an investor is not gonna be you've invented a new technology or that you've discovered that education's going online or any other insight. It's gonna be, are you a hardworking person that I trust and back and I'm happy to go into the trenches for seven to 10 years with? That's really still the key question. My piece of advice would be, be prepared to hear no more often than you hear yes. And don't let that phase you too much. If you believe what you're doing and you've got it like it's down to your bone marrow, keep swimming. But having said that too, because you probably will hear no more often than you hear yes, make sure you've got a small crew on, on your wing who are your kind of lifter-upperers who keep you humming. The slight mess with your head bit of that if you've heard unremitting no's for six months and you're just not getting any traction, park it, move on. Don't be mean to yourself by you know, flagellating yourself way too much. So it's finding that balance and having really good advisors on your wing. People who you know will honestly tell you if this gig doesn't have legs. I think that's really important. And Suze, what's the future look like for the Angel Association of New Zealand in the next 12 months? It's going to be awesome. I, I know that sounds a little kind of like yippy-dippy, but I seriously think this is, this is a huge opportunity for angel investment right now. And I've put a challenge out to our community that not only must we not let numbers dip, but actually this is the time to grow the number of angel investors and to grow the number of deals we are doing. We won't be sorry for doing that. Fantastic. Thank you both. The Angel Investors, uh, $100 million per annum. Angel groups from Whangarei all the way down to Invercargill. Focus on people, do the boring first, and make sure you keep hustling. That's what I've heard here today. So, Serge, Suze, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on board. Lovely. Great to chat, Dylan. Cheers, bud. Thanks for having us. Bye for now. That was your investment fix from NZTE. For a bigger financial fix, head to investnewzealand.nz.